Well, let's set the stage a little for this gospel passage. Jesus has already had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the one we celebrate each year on Palm Sunday. His disciples are probably all excited by his presence there. Things are reaching their conclusion, but not the way they think. Jesus knows which way things are headed. Jesus knows the Sadducees and the Pharisees will lead to his death. And his presence is drawing them out to challenge him. They see him clearly as a threat. But Jesus doesn't let that knowledge of what's coming draw him into fear and hatred. As he taught, he loves his enemies. Each of these groups tries to draw him into their own conflicts, issues they've been debating, the things that really divide them. And Jesus gives answers that are new, that they can't argue against, and that quite simply awe them. Um, the Pharisees tried to get the Herodians, the, the group of Jews that sided with the Romans, angry at Jesus by asking, is it lawful to pay taxes or not? And Jesus gives that famous answer, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Then come the Sadducees. They're the, the Jewish leaders who run the temple who only believe in the first five books of the Old Testament and don't think there will be a resurrection. They give the example of a woman who's had seven husbands die. And they ask when she dies and is resurrected, which one will be her husband? And in a sense, it's, it's not intended to get an actual answer. It's something they think will stump Jesus and it's them trying to mock the idea of a resurrection. But Jesus responds, in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, and that God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. They try to stump him, but Jesus stumps them. And it's important to note again that with everything they're doing, Jesus doesn't hate these people who hate him. He doesn't imitate them and take the low road. He presents these answers with the hope that they'll draw them to the truth. He's not responding out of anger or hate or fear. He's responding out of love. So here in today's passage, we get the same thing from the Pharisees. These are the teachers and lawyers who parse through the Jewish law and debate all the little minutiae. In a sense, this is the final group. But this is the hardest one to respond to. These are the ones who do this debating the most, and they're most likely to trip up someone. This is kind of the major league of Jewish debating. And the Pharisees ask him, what is the great commandment of the law? Now, this isn't only looking at the Ten Commandments. A few years after this, when the rabbis wrote down all the teachings of the Pharisees, they taught that the Old Testament has 613 specific commandments. In addition to the 10 big ones, it's commandments about what you eat, how you celebrate holidays, how the priests act, all kinds of things about Jewish life 
both as an individual and as a community. And this question isn't as simple as asking Jesus what his favorite commandment is. This is a question they would ask to see how a teacher views the law as a whole. One Pharisee, for example, might say the greatest commandment is to circumcise their sons. And by that, he would be saying that the rest of the commandments are all based around the covenant between God and man that was started by Abraham. He's emphasizing what circumcision, circumcision symbolizes. Another Pharisee might say the, the commandment to sacrifice to God is the greatest. And what he's saying is that the rest of the law is based off of and grounded in that worship and offering to God. So when they ask Jesus, Jesus gives the answer that I'm sure most of you know from the beginning of our service. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, the, the first part is Jesus literally reciting Deuteronomy 6.5. The second part is Jesus quoting Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, both of these are still considered commandments by Jews today. And being part of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, these would have been seen as commandments by all the Jews of Jesus' day. But the way Jesus addresses them is distinct from the way the other Jews at the time would. As Jesus says in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Jews would see the second commandment he mentioned as about loving other Jews. For them, this doesn't extend to the Gentiles, to the, the people who aren't Jewish, because they're not sons of your own people. They're not neighbors. The understanding of the greatest commandment is also different from the way the Jews would understand it. Those same rabbis who would wrote, write down the 613 commandments later on specified that Jews showed their love for God by doing good deeds for other people. That's the same way many Christians treat these two commandments today. Well, I'm a nice person. I'm friendly. I've helped people a few times. That's me following these commandments. That's how I show love for God. And in a way, for many Jews of the time, like that, these two commandments are overlapping. Showing love for God is showing love for your neighbor. But Jesus isn't saying that. What Jesus does is split them. In a way, by having them together like this, he's emphasizing that they're not the same thing. They're different commandments. First off, with the second greatest commandment, this isn't only about other Jews. This is everyone who's a neighbor, all other people. Also, this isn't just about being a kind person. This is about showing people the same love you show for yourself. 
This isn't just treating others as you might hypothetically treat yourself. This is treating others as you do treat yourself. Again, this isn't just being nice, being agreeable, or trying to be pleasant. This is about valuing others the same way you value yourself, prioritizing them and doing what's best for them in a way that isn't always comfortable. This is what has led Christians for centuries to care for the sick, to argue in support for the unborn, to stand up for those that society sees as less worthy of rights or life than others. People throughout history have often demonized others to the point that they see them as less than human. Jesus is saying that's not what God wants, and Christians don't do that. Jesus shows that firsthand in his response to all these groups here. Now, that's the second greatest, not the first. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus, in a sense, is splitting that love for neighbor from love of God. But by putting that commandment as second next to the love of God, Jesus is saying loving God isn't as simple as loving other people. Loving God isn't the same thing as loving people. Jesus is completely agreeing that we, we need to love other people. That's essential. But that's only a part of loving God. Our love for God needs to be even greater than our love for other people. You're supposed to love other people the way you love yourself, but you're supposed to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You're supposed to love God more than you love other people because you're supposed to love God more than you love yourself. This is so countercultural today. So many Christians say these commandments over and over, but they reverse them. For them, loving God is about loving other people. I pray because I need things, or people in my life need things. Prayer is how I can get God to give me what I want. I come to church for worship because it feeds me. I, I get a lot out of this. If my life as a Christian doesn't have a discernible impact on the people around me in my life, it's of no use. Well, that's all wrong. It may not seem like it, but all of those things are putting ourselves or our neighbors before God. We should pray not because of what we get out of it, but because we love God, because he's important to us, and because we want to involve him in all the different areas of our life. We want his will to be done in all that we do. We shouldn't come to worship because of what we get out of it, we should come to worship because it's what God wants for us. We should come to worship because we love him and not only want to be with him, we want to do what he wants. We want to put his will before our own. Your life as a Christian isn't about the impact you have on the people around you. It's about responding to God's call in your life. We could spend time in a ministry that we think 
has little to no impact on people. But as long as we're doing it in response to God's call, as long as we know that's what God wants for us rather than what we want, it's not wasted time. Many people talk about ends and means. Our end is our goal, and our means are the things we do to reach that goal. By and large, Christians in our society don't see God as their end. They see God as their means. This first commandment is Jesus saying that we as Christians need to make God our end. We can't just act for ourselves. We can't just act for other people. All our actions need to be rooted in our love for our neighbors, and that love for our neighbors and everything else in our lives needs to ultimately be rooted in a love for God. So I ask each of you, look at your life and honestly ask yourself, what is my end? What is the goal and the direction of everything I do? Is my life focused on my love for myself? Is my life spent in greed, in just accumulating things for myself? Is my life spent in gluttony, just consuming things? Is my life spent in pride? Even though I'm doing good for others, is it grounded in faith or is it because I want people to look favor favorably on me? Am I trusting God to save the world or am I looking for that elsewhere? Am I relying on some worldly organization to save the world or am I trying to save the world myself? Is my life grounded and rooted in a love for God, trusting in him and focused on him? That's not saying we need to spend all our lives in prayer. That's saying we need to turn to God, ask what he wants us to do, and follow through with that. That's saying that we shouldn't see our relationships and jobs about being goals just in and of themselves. It's saying that the things we pursue and the things we want should only have purpose in the light of our love for God. Jesus ends this answer by saying, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well, if we're going to live into our faith, if we truly want to follow God, then we need to be able to say, on these two commandments depend all of our life. Amen.